0: Welcome to DMs of
1: Vancouver, the show where we talk to our awesome friends and amazing guests about how to help you become a better GM for your tabletop games or review games that we've played recently from a GM and
0: player perspective. I'm Jesse Boros and my pronouns are he, him. I'm Sean Hagen and my pronouns are also he, him. We're your co-hosts for this podcast and we've got another great episode for you.
1: This podcast is recorded and produced on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people, including the Musqueam,
0: Squamish and Swilletooth nations. In recognition of that, we ask that you please support Raven, a charity that helps support indigenous people throughout Canada. You can find them at raventrust.com. And
1: today we're going to be talking about just a couple of things.
0: Yeah, no guests today, just me and Sean talking about various things, uh, some games, uh, a game I'm prepping for, and you know, other stuff.
1: Yeah, hope you enjoy the show.
0: Thanks for listening, slash potentially watching. weird (laughs) to think about.
1: Yeah, um, for those of you who are watching, uh, we are going to be putting uh, the
0: video for this up on YouTube uh,
1: to test that out and see how people like seeing our faces.
0: We have no idea what we're doing in regards to video, but we're trying it anyway. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, alrighty, so what do you want to
0: kick this off with? Well, let's. since I think we're probably going to talk about the game I'm about to run last, let's have you do a thing, because I think we have four things. You do a thing, I'll do a thing. Your thing, my thing. All right, so you first.
1: Um, I think the first thing I want to talk to is a, a game that I found on on itch through Twitter. I've had the tab open for a while now, so I've completely forgotten where I found out about this. But it's uh, it's from Possum Creek Games on itch. It's called In the Time of Monsters. Uh, it is a tactical combat TTRPG uh, Inspired by North mythology, a Norse mythology Lancer and D&D fourth edition Um, The art for it looks real cool. It's still in a um, exploratory stage. They're just trying to gauge interest and uh, See if people would want a more fully fleshed out game, but so far from what I've seen it is real cool Um, and one of the reasons, uh, and I was talking to Jesse about this before, one of the reasons that uh, it caught my attention was that, um, as I'm sure our listeners are aware, there are issues when it comes to Norse mythology and how it's used today, specifically by specific far-right groups. And this is a game uh, written and created by a trans-disabled writer, and there is a explicit fascists-are-not-welcome-here uh, section on the itch page which i think is just wonderful. So, uh big props to that. Uh it's from uh, Jade Dragon at Possum Creek Games is uh is this thing. And i think i'd like to i'm probably going to buy a copy soon and maybe run a quick uh a one shot uh cuz there's not many pages to it so it should be pretty quick to jump in.
0: You know what we should do? We should both just buy a copy of it after this recording. <laughs>
1: Not a bad idea. So we just
0: do it, and then we don't have to think about doing it. We we've done it, and then we have it. Yeah. And then they have some money, and (laughs) hopefully decide to adapt the games more.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think one of the reasons that the other reasons that this caught this caught my eye is that I've I've played a lot of a bunch of different systems now, and I will admit that the ones that catch my fancy are the more storytelling focused ones so a tactical combat
0: rpg um i'm really curious how that'll work i mean if it's inspired by fourth edition uh which is was my like kind of intro edition to DD really that i played for the entire lifetime of that system uh i'm excited because i liked playing fourth edition a lot um, and the combat was a lot of fun um and you know i'm not a super tactical rpg like I'm not super into that, but every once in a while, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I would like to play a version of 4th Ed that was maybe a bit more streamlined. Um, and if this is anything like that, I'm pretty excited to check it out. Uh, I've also heard really good things about Lancer, but have not played it, despite... Uh, I think we both have it from an itch bundle a while back. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. Do you, are you familiar with Lancer, Sean?
1: Uh, the name rings a bell
0: so it's like a, a powered by the apocalypse giant mech rpg if i recall correctly okay so i'm actually also interested i'd be interested to hear what like what about that inspired this game if it's like uh how combat works or it's a storytelling mechanic or you know I, or it also has giant mech like things which would also be very neat um but yeah i'm, I'm interested to take a look at this uh, especially like, you know, 10 bucks US for a, I mean, granted, not I guess not complete game, but one that is got 60 plus pages and a bunch of classes and might be developed further. Sounds pretty cool. That's yeah, a good deal. Yeah. So that's my first thing. All right. Shall we go on a mine then? Yes. Uh, so I want to talk about uh, Feudal Attraction, which is a one page D&D adventure, I guess. Is that the right term, adventure? I guess it would be an adventure. It's a one-page D&D adventure that uh, Trish over at Roarcat Reads ran for me and some of our friends a little while ago, and uh, it was delightful. <laughs> so basically, um, I, and I'm not sure if this is how Trish ran it or how it's encouraged in the rules. I haven't read it. I can just speak from player experience, which I don't don't get to do a ton on here. So <laughs> um, basically, the, the whole thing is <clears throat> you are either guests or employed at a wedding and you have to stop things from going off the rails because there is a bunch of sabotage (laughs) going on. Um, And mostly it's like harmless pranks because the idea is that the two families uh, don't get along and maybe even have a long-term rivalry. Um, And uh, you know, you get involved and try and stop, you know, some kids from throwing eggs at, you know, the groom or someone swapping out one of the bridal gifts for a chest full of bees (laughs) Um, And other various stuff like that. Um, I had an absolutely wonderful time playing it, uh, partially because Trish is a great DM, partially because I had really good players, uh, several of whom have been on this podcast. Um, uh, Chad, uh, Alante, Izzy, I think that's it. But yeah, I, I had a great time. I would definitely recommend checking it out. I did wish I had a link to where exactly it is, but I know Roarkat Reads has a review of it up, and I would recommend that you go check that out. Uh, I think even some of our players recorded like a audio interaction between their characters talking about the events of the day. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's called Feudal Attraction. It's a one-page D&D adventure. I'm sure you could adjust it for other systems. Yeah, uh, like I'm.
1: Out. I think I've got it up here. Um, I'm. I'll send the link to you to like verify that this is the right one-page PDF to be looking at. Um, and it yeah, looks st- like it. That's okay. the one. Because the 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 thing that I like about this um, is that it is it is kind of system less. Um, so yeah, it could work with D and D, or it could work with pretty much any system but the thing i think what i like about this compared to other one page things is that my, my experience so far with the one page rpgs because there's so little to the system it it can be kind of hard as the gm to run a one shot with them because you kind of don't know what kinds of things to put in front of the players but it's something like this where it's like three pair three short paragraphs of description and then a bunch of stuff that you've got to deal with throughout this adventure, I think is, uh, I really like that. Um, Mm. giving, giving the GM more of a, of a structure with what you've got on the one page than just, Hey, here's how the classes work. Cause like there's a bit at the top. That's got a, uh, like how to build NPCs, um, by just rolling 4 D 10. And, uh, yeah, I, I, the whole, I like this whole, whole idea of here's a one page one shot. I, there are probably other people doing stuff like this, and I think I need to try and search them out because this is really cool.
0: Well, and I was thinking, for the show, this might be the type of thing where we can play that won't require us also uh, one of us learning an entire rule set for a game, <laughs> game necessarily. And <laughs> yeah. if we can find more like this, which are almost uh, system neutral, we could apply it to whatever game we want to play. Yeah. Hell, we could use this as a lasers and feelings like adventure if we wanted to. Yeah, um, anyway, yeah, that's feudal attraction by. Oh, did we have the name on there? Max White. By Max White, uh, give it a look. Give uh, Rorkat Reed's review of it a look, um, and uh, yeah, it's a good time.
1: Yeah. Um, so the the next thing that I wanted to talk about is um, it's it's so it's kind of tangentially related to tabletop RPGs, but it is a tabletop thing, and it's it's Warhammer. It's forty k. Um, cause I've been rereading through the, um, there's a series of books called Horus Heresy, and it's kind of like exploring some of the backstory of the 40 K universe, um, kind of the big inciting incident that set the stage for the universe being terrible and grim and dark and all that. Um, and been kind of realizing that, uh, cause I used to play 40 K when I was in high school and reading the books and, uh, and I realized as we were getting ready to do this, that like I miss playing those kind of tactical miniature games. And there's gotta be something out there that I can find that'll scratch that itch, but doesn't cost a fortune.
0: (laughs) Um, I mean, fourth edition could do that. No, fourth edition is, is a different type of thing. I'm just being a smart ass. (laughs) Um, I mean, you got a 3d printer, right, Sean? (laughs) I have to get it working again,
1: but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's something I've that's I think just been in my subconscious for a while now. It's just, but it's bubbled to the surface of like, I should just find there's probably dozens of games that people have made that you can 3d print or even just play with coins or other miniatures or something. But the, uh, cause it's, cause it's interesting. You're talking, we were talking about the, in the, in the time of monsters, which is tactical tabletop RPG and, a game like Warhammer uh is like it's a tactical game. There's just no not really any role-playing to it. It's all just you're in command of this big army and trying to achieve your objectives. And it's something that um you don't really get in D D or any other games I've been looking at unless you find supplements that specifically deal with like running an army, but like it's all like it sometimes it feels like those supplements are more focused on like everything else around running an army and then there's like a couple of pages of oh yeah and here's how you have a big scale battle because d d kind of breaks down when you try to have huge scale battles
0: yeah uh, it's it's interesting considering d d kind of um evolved out of wargaming yeah is what i would argue warhammer is yeah um, a di- very different version at this point but like <laughs> yeah you don't see that as much i mean you do in some games i'm sure but like not in a lot of the ones i've come across but you know i'm sure if you're looking for a cheaper alternative to warhammer 40k there's got to be something like there are so many people who are able to make and publish uh games now like it's easier to like post them somewhere like itch or wherever someone's got to have made something like that that is you know maybe a one-time buy and you can basically use whatever you want as minis
1: yeah yeah for sure just uh it's something that I realized as we were, we were talking. Just like, oh, I, I kind of miss ta- like war games because it's uh you know, it's something I did in high school and had a lot of fun. You know, hanging out with friends around a a stretch of carpet or a table or whatever, and
0: did you rolling play, a lot of dice? Do you ever play X Wing? No. I think you'd like X Wing. Yeah, I mean, one because it's Star Wars, but um, <laughs> two because it it's uh I mean it's not the same thing as Warhammer, but it's like space dogfights basically
1: yeah it's uh i have i've watched a couple of videos and seen um a uh like i think uh
0: jason plays or played yeah jason uh i don't know if he still plays uh but he definitely did did play and probably still has all the stuff for it so actually that's the thing if you ever want to try it when we're back at a point where we can safely go to people's houses yeah (laughs) um I'm sure if you were like, hey, Jay, do you want to teach me how to play X-Wing? He would probably take you up on that offer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Something for me to think about for sure. Yeah. Um, that's that's enough about Warhammer. What's your next thing?
0: So before we start my next thing, is there anything else that's popped into your head as we've gone? Because my next thing is going to be talking about the campaign I'm prepping and that who knows how long it'll take us. Uh, not off the top of my head,
1: other than just like I... I think I'm ready to start prepping my own game to, to start playing again, but it'll definitely be in person, which will be a little bit tricky with how things are going right now in, in, in the Lower Mainland, uh, COVID-wise, but I'm sure there's enough people who have been vaccinated and feel safe, in, will feel safe in my place with the windows open and whatnot that I can have folks over to play a game because I, I miss it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's the thing that's tough right now, right? Like, oh, excuse me. <laughs> um we were supposed to go on a show this later this week or next week or whatever um but we opted not to because the numbers are so bad and because we'd be inside in a studio space with masks without masks for at least the part we're on camera um which um they were super understanding about thank goodness yeah um and we'll we'll get on there at some point but like yeah man I I don't know I'm hesitant to i think i'm gonna to have to do the thing where if i'm visiting somebody i don't visit anybody else for a week or two after that just to to be on the safe side like you know me and Haley are both fully vaccinated but you know there are breakout cases and it seems like there's more and more and i just don't want to take that risk yeah yeah no i get I'm i'm on the same page uh so though you're thinking about running a game soon is there mm-hmm. any like specific one you want to run if you start doing like an actual campaign campaign
1: if it for a campaign i'm i'd probably do numenera because uh it's a system that i really want to run a campaign in and explore it a little bit more um i could probably be convinced though to do dnd if folks wanted to do something that would make heavy use of oh what is it called it's over behind me here somewhere uh, oh
0: the matt colville
1: thing yeah, it's hidden by a bunch of books, but the the strong, strong uh, followers and strongholds, I think it's called. That's the one, yeah, um, have a campaign uh, based around the idea of like finding and uh, finding like an old keep, and then like going on quests specifically to get stuff to you know hire workers or get materials or do whatever to make this keep really you know their own and uh something that can protect them from whoever the big bad is
0: yeah i'd love to play in a game like that that that's one of those things where i haven't taken a huge look at it partially because i think it's not the type of thing i would personally want to run excuse me but is definitely something i would want to play
1: yeah and it's interesting because it could also lend itself lend itself well to like a west marcher style campaign where it's um like i just have to come up with you know, vague plot hooks and then whatever one the players go after I can flesh them out as they're going after it. Hell yeah, that sounds great. Play to my uh improvisational strengths instead of <laughs> diving in and creating a whole world again.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm like the thing I find tempting about running a west marches game uh is that like you can kind of just write down a bunch of ideas or even find hey, hey one page adventures like we were talking about earlier uh and make, you know, that a whole section or area that the players can you know interact with and then build out from yeah um man so speaking i guess of campaigns and now mine uh, and you know i could be convinced to play to run DD is kind of what happened with mine my uh you know i talked to my players i'm like i would prefer to run a different system but i'm also not going to make you learn how to play an entirely new system now every everyone's busy right and not everybody is is into looking at a bunch of different systems in, as you and I are. yeah, uh, My players ultimately uh, decided that they would rather just play a D&D because they're already familiar with and stuff like that. Uh, so that's what we're doing. And, uh, God, a month or two ago now, I sat down with them and we collaboratively kind of built the environment that the campaign is going to take place in. So um, yeah, I had were, some ideas. You were saying
1: something about that on Twitter a little
0: while back. Oh, yeah, yeah, after we did it. Uh, I took to Twitter and mentioned some of the things that like happened that I did not expect to happen. Um, So the one caveat I had coming in is that this is a world where uh, magic existed and then disappeared and technology rose. And then that has since kind of all crumbled and magic is reemerging or has reemerged at this point. Originally, it was going to be like freshly reemerged. And then I was like, I looked at kind of the setting we had and that stuff. And I was like, okay, it's going to be a bit longer after magic has reemerged. But so it's this world where there are still remnants of like technology that is like very modern or futuristic, but like nobody really knows how to use anymore. Cause it's been long enough that people don't remember what most of it is. Um, so I want to talk with you about some of the things that happened that I didn't expect when me and my players sat down.
1: Okay. Sounds good.
0: So, Uh, I started off by asking them what kind of environment they wanted this to take place in. Because the idea the one of the things we had agreed on beforehand is it would be like a smaller town or something like that. Right. So I was like, "Ah, it's going to be like maybe in like a mountainous area or a forested area. No, it is in a desert, but also on a snowy mountain because there is a single snowy mountain in the middle of a desert. (laughs) Um and uh which is very weird to think about and justify which has been great because i'm like oh i get to think of all of these reasons which have built into the plot why there is this one snowy mountain in the middle of the desert so i'm like okay great so what's the deal with this this mountain in this desert
1: it's sorry. i just i just wanted to say really quickly that having mentioned that i wanted to run numenera it's it's interesting like thinking about how i would approach this question of this mountain one single lone mountain in the middle of a desert and how it came to be there like in dnd if i was running a dnd campaign i would probably come up with some kind of history as to why this happened like was it a god was it a wizard was it something else uh like there was some momentous event that made this happen whereas in numenera it would just be like yeah it's weird isn't it
0: <laughs> yeah that's the thing is i am in some ways running a numenera game just not <laughs> just not with numenera yeah because it's like one of those things with far falling future and magic and technology and who can tell the difference and, and all this stuff um but anyway so the this was the main thing i was like okay this was not what i expected <laughs> i was gonna build a map for this game. And then I tried using incarnate to build like a desert with a snowy mountain. And like, there's just not enough detail for me to like kind of differentiate stuff and not have it look just very odd. (laughs) So we've got this mountain. It's in a desert. Great. What's going on on this this mountain? I asked my players. They're like, well, we think that it's run like there's a town up there and it's run by like kind of a criminal organization or something like that, like a family. Really powerful people who run it. It's like, oh, okay, so what's happening in the in the desert? Well, in the desert, there's like a town, and most of the people work up, you know, for the mountain, and you know, there's some inequality there. So this says over time, and it's you know, again, it was a couple of months ago, so a lot of the world building I've done since has bled into my memory. So basically, what's going on is there's this family up on the mountain. I have named them uh, the Sleet Strix family. They're a, a family of owl folk with a one kind of head, like head poncho person um who rule over this mountain and basically get to do whatever they want they basically own the mountain and the town below it okay they bring people from de- like the kind of desert town up those people harvest snow and ice for water which they have a monopoly on on this entire desert and basically as far as anybody's concerned the entire world is a desert what i'm saying is we built a very strange version of Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> um, that's not yeah. what the plot is going to be, probably. We'll see what they do. Because <laughs> the thing I I know coming in with basically any players, it's like, you can have a plot in mind. Not necessarily going to happen. <laughs> very true. Very, very true. Yeah. So, basically. Uh, and also, <laughs> we got to have the delightful experience of my players being like, oh yeah, I want to name it this kind of silly thing. Like, this place and most of my players are like yes and one of them is like uh really <laughs> so there is a casino on the mountain it is called the snowasis uh it's run by a druid who like keeps lush kind of like jungle plants and ferns and stuff alive in there cool okay so i sat on that and i was like so he's part of this criminal family he's one of the Sleet Strix. what kind of uh it's thinking, like, what, what's the staff like? Well, there's a bunch of normal staff, but it's a casino, so they need bouncers. Who are the bouncers? Two Awakened Owl Bears. <laughs> so that's going to be fun. I've got names for them. I don't recall them off the top of my head, because it's been a little while since I've been able to do prep, because work has been a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's, you know, a thing I got to sit down on. And, like, there's other details I can't go into, because if any of my players watch it, it's heavy spoilers. But, like, that's kind of the deal with the mountain, you know? Criminal family, big head honcho person. Uh, you know she rules them with an iron fist, but is like kind of on the verge of retiring. So there's like some strife within the family, seeing who will like take her place as the head of the family. Classic criminal family stuff going on. Right. Still need to make more of those characters. This is this is the one of the challenging things. Is like I know once I start running it, a bunch of stuff will change because of what my players decide to do and ask about. Um, so i'm trying to be relatively light on the prep other than just having a list of names
1: right so i've got a climate and geography question yes so this mountain is the only source of water for Mm -hmm. the folks who live within i'm guessing walking distance yes um or horse if they've got animals that they can ride on within that distance camels and riding snakes cool um why does the snow not melt and create a river
0: because of magic? Fair enough. <laughs> well, because nobody knows, but I can tell you right now because magic <laughs> or maybe tech who knows. Right. Uh, I do, but I, I can't say, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a spoiler for my and, Um, I mean, I'm
1: thinking of something and I'm wondering if it's the same thing. We can talk about it afterwards, yeah. but, um, and I guess this is probably related is, uh, how does the snow get replenished? Is it, the, is it the same yeah. reason? Okay. Yeah. Cause I was, I was kind of thinking that it would be neat if there was like, um, like there was clouds that would pass and like the cloud, the mountain is high enough that when the, when the clouds go by just part of the, the moisture in those clouds just turns into snow and falls on the mountain. But it's only because the mountain is so high that it does that. Otherwise the clouds are just going too fast and they don't, it doesn't rain on the rest of the desert.
0: I, um, I am going to use that idea as one of the theories people have, because that's great. Um, Cause that's not the type of thing I think about. I'm like, Oh, big snowy mountain, but it's the only place that snows magic.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's it, that's, I think that's one of the things that um, when it comes to, to world building, especially with, with fantasy games is like, it is a valid answer for magic to be the reason, but i i guess when i was building the the world that i ran my last campaign in i tried i tried to keep the the magic terrain stuff to unique locations and the yours is like this mountain in the middle of desert is definitely covered by that um but like if you had a more normal terrain that you were running this this campaign in like i i guess it's just like you know the there are fantasy series that I've read and, and like one of the common complaints is just like, everything is magic. Like magic is always the answer. And it's, and it kind of makes magic seem mundane, which I don't think is what people are usually going for when they're trying to create a world filled with magic. They want it to be magical, but when everything is magical, it just, it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Another thing that we can't really explain because magic.
0: I mean, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the thing in this setting, I mean, also partially like i am partially abiding but what my players decided was part of the world which is this one lone snowy mountain that is always snowing on and that is forested in the middle of a desert it's like okay (laughs) i mean there there will be other water sources in the desert but they won't be as reliable or as plentiful right right um and you know they might be crushed under the heel of the strixhaven family because that's how they they do right um and like I have very specific, and I'll tell you off off mic slash camera uh, what those are if you're interested. Um, it actually ties slightly into uh, artifact, which we're gonna do an episode on soon, hopefully. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's that's the deal with the mountain. I don't want to go into too much more detail. There's like there's like this one small kind of snowy mountain town in it that's very wealthy and like fancy, and like tourists come there, but mostly it's people paying homage to the. Sleet so Strix family so they can keep getting water and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So there's,
1: there, there's, a, there's a sizable population and there are new faces that show up.
0: Constantly. Okay. But that is not the main place the, the adventures and stuff will actually take place. It's certainly a common area, but mostly, and that town is called Mirage, by the way, um, mostly takes place down in Ember. And Ember is the town at the foot of the mountain that's in the desert territory. Where it gets all its workers and all that kind of stuff. Right. So Amber is, consists of two parts. There's the upper part, which is mostly meant for tourists to see. There's a train that comes in. You know, there's also a train yard for unloading and loading up water. But mostly it's all a facade, right? It's you, You're up there if you have a lot of money and can live on the surface, um, or you're up there because you're coming in and, you know, are about to go up to the mountain. Right. The majority of Amber is underground in a thing that I'm very mad that I didn't think of because my, one of my players did, and it's great. They live underground. At first, we were like, oh, yeah, just tunnels or whatever. And they're like, someone was like, no, that's an ancient parking garage. Just a huge one. And nobody knows what it is, but it's this, ancient, this giant cement structure that they've kind of like re-hollowed out of sand and live. Um, and again, a thing I would have never thought of. How they d- divide property up there is by the lines of parking stalls.
1: <laughs> and the this oh, this is why I love talking to people about stuff like this because like I keep my brain keeps just coming up with stuff. And the thing that just popped into my head was that like okay, you've got this giant parking structure. Um, if there's a giant parking structure, there are probably other structures nearby. And so, are there? Are there parties of people who live in this town who will go and like, try to dig out like old tunnels that are like subway tunnels or parts of collapsed buildings to try and go and find things, bits and baubles and things that they can sell?
0: Yes. Yes, that is a thing. Have I written those things up specifically? Not yet, but that is, <laughs> that is going to be part of the thing. I have to still decide what this structure was for. And I mean, my main, I think, very obvious idea is... A huge fucking shopping mall. Um, <laughs> that was also partially destroyed in the emergence of the mountain. So it's like not stable in the same way that the parking garage structure is, which would have been like completely out of that radius. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's one of the things I'm going to have to do a lot of thinking on later is like what items that are like modern items are going to be floating around? They'll be limited because people can't make them anymore. And, you know, there's only however much stuff in the place that they go to but it's, i'm also gonna at some point look at the magical items and go okay what what of this can i make like advanced technology
1: <laughs> you have found a wand of bullet it has six charges
0: <laughs> well um, that's like a thing like the wand, like i'm going to at some point have a wand of magic missile and it is going to be something else <laughs>
1: and the thing that i the thing that's cool about the idea of these people going into tunnels and whatnot is that like if the players want to go exploring then it's something that every time they do it can be a different layout because the sands are always shifting they're filling in rooms uncovering like old rooms are getting found and uncovered and and if you don't act quickly then this really easy route is going to be you know filled with sand in a couple of days and you have to take the hard route again and yeah there's a lot of opportunity there if the players want to go spelunking
0: yeah and that's like and like this is the thing with this group of players i don't know that they'll ever want to do that (laughs) but they might that'll be interesting yeah um i asked them a bunch of more questions i actually um oh god what's that game called i kind of took the world building thing from a different game uh, and used it for asking questions uh, from, what's it called? Aether, Heroic Fantasy RPG, which is also available on Twitch. Um, and the I've had a couple interactions with the author on Twitter, and they are quite friendly. Um, I'd recommend checking it out. Um, it's one of those games that eventually I want to play with you and do a review of, but, you know, time. <laughs> but so I asked them a bunch of questions, including like, okay, well, what are some of the factions down in the town? And so we came up with there's the union, which is a union, uh, you know, a force trying to unionize the workers who are try- who go up to the mountain, uh, and they also kind of function like a thieves guild, okay. mostly stealing from Strixhaven, you know, getting water out and bringing it down into Underember and all of that stuff. Great. And it's like, okay, well, who else is there? Well, there's obviously somebody who work for the Strixhaven down in the town, like their representatives, because they're not going to come down there into the hot desert. They're like all snowy owls, and like. Get their hands dirty at least right. during daytime. Also underground, where they can't fly as easily. So what they ended up with is, and this is a thing I made later on when I'm like, okay, their agents down here are a gang of tabaxi called the Thrashers.
1: Do they function as the police for the tourists who come to town?
0: No, the, I'm gonna have to think of another faction that that is like that. up like kind of uptown or above ground because it's kind of like above ground too is like mostly a show town there's not a lot of people who actually live there yeah um, it's hotels and empty buildings yeah hotels empty buildings and at least one shop that sells um cold weather gear <laughs> because everybody's about to go up on a mountain uh, and also uh, desert nights um, this was actually another thing my players decided existed in the world. They're like, yeah, there's a race of alpaca folk. <laughs> and they, they like, make the stuff out of their own wool, and somehow they have a way to, like, keep producing it quickly. And they have, like, air-conditioned houses. <laughs> um, yeah. Magic. Magic air conditioning. <laughs> or something. Who knows? Yeah. I'll think of it when it becomes, you know, important. <laughs> um. But yeah, so that's another thing they decided. But yeah, like they've they've pointedly decided that it was like a lot of the surrounding area was kind of like have you ever been to Niagara Falls, Sean? Yeah. Uh, I I think in like grade
1: ten or something. I remember being there and being somewhat impressed with the falls, but I don't I kind of remember Niagara Falls the town.
0: Yeah. So Niagara Falls the town, at least the part I saw, is mostly restaurants and like Oddity things and museums and like stuff like that. It's like tourist nonsense. Yeah, like um, so,
1: so the several block blocks surrounding the falls is like there's no homes and no businesses other than stuff that sells stuff to tourists.
0: Yeah, and like you know a Ripley's believe it or not museum and and stuff like that. Yeah, um, and that's what the players decided. A lot of the opera amber is there's like hotels, there's kind of like the train station, there's some of these shops that sell things that like tourists would need, and then. There's a bunch of largely useless bullshit, <laughs> but and mostly failed too. Like pointedly, most of these have already failed and are empty.
1: Right. I would there be room for a uh, like? It almost feels like I'm getting this kind of westerny magic punk kind of vibe, and it feels like the kind of place where you know, with the because you're saying the Ripley's believe it or not got me thinking that like what if there is a uh, a a group a clan a gang of like carnival folk who Ooh, who, who run fun. some yeah. of these like bars and brothels and you know uh collections of oddities for tourists to come that are basically just you know mostly fake but they're there to get money from tourists who don't know any better
0: sean 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 let me tell you about onion sam and the conundrum cavern cabin <laughs> um so yeah this was like a stipulation on the players they wanted something that it was essentially the mystery shack from gravity falls <laughs> um and i'm like oh okay um let me think of a character so i came up with onion sam and the conundrum cabin cabin i keep on wanting to say cavern for some reason but it's cabin um yeah it's the mystery shack from gravity falls is you know run by a guy who is obviously a crook and a con man but it's probably not as crooked as the tricks so people like him, all right. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he tries to rip off tourists by selling them on fake stuff or like having you know dug up stuff from the mall. And since nobody knows what it is, he just makes up what it is, right? The <laughs> impress people, is like, yes, look upon this, you know, long range spell casting device, and it's like a telescope. <laughs> know like or like a star catcher and it's again telescope (laughs) that's one of those things where at some point i'm gonna have to like sit down maybe maybe we'll get on a call with you and a couple of our friends and like come up with some of these oddities because i think that would be a fun time and like a fun kind of game to play with some people that's not uh strictly structured yeah um but yeah i like the idea of like a family of like carnies or something like that though i'm going to write that down in my uh my adventure dice notebook here got some of those lying around this episode sponsored by adventure dice
1: (laughs) um yeah and like so i guess because in 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 my mind i'm picturing this like you know what you see in uh in like a spaghetti western of this town where the buildings are you know basically abandoned and made of wood and so dry that it looks like they're about to fall into dust like they're not even going to catch fire they're just going to fall to dust um and you know these people scrabbling a living and you know going back down into the underground or finding some shade during the heat of the day and you know doing their best to fleece tourists um yeah this kind of like i it, it to me it feels like kind of a lawless place
0: oh yeah and like that's the thing uh, so I'm using a, a website called notebook.ai to do a bunch of my world building notes, um, which I am on the fence about. I, you know, you got to pay for a bunch of the stuff, a bunch of the stuff. but There's like kind of some free templates. And a lot of the times for a location, I'll ask, oh, what are the rules here? And I'm like, basically, whatever the strict say, the rules are, <laughs> you know, there there are no there is not a king. There is no police, really there are agents of this one family and that's about it. Um, and so I imagine, I imagine that the union kind of acts as like a um, not police, obviously, but more like a um, citizens protection force kind of thing. Right. I'm, I'm blanking on the correct term, but you know, uh, you know, the, they, you know, they try and do stuff, but also like the street stricks street are powerful, not only like socially, but like magically. Right. So that's that's the thing is like I think any given sleet strix they run into with one or two like exceptions are going to be very dangerous to have a confrontation with. Um, you know, the players are starting at level one; they're not okay. walking into this at fifth level. And you know, maybe they can throw down with a druid who can awaken a couple owl bears. They're, you know, they get in a fight with one of those owl bears; they could probably win on their own. too. it's it's not going to be fun, and those owl bears are awakened, so they can fight smart and they will be using weapons instead of just their claws i think i should stat up actually (laughs) so they're you know actually this is a great thing i can talk about this because one of my players was like this is what i want going into whenever we start she was like i want my character to have recently stolen something and to be on the run and i was like oh do i have the item for you (laughs) um (laughs) So, yeah, the the kind of the opening will be uh, them, you know, kind of making their escape with this item. I'm going to try and run it pretty cinematically and then hopping between characters to, like, see how they all tie together. And then hopefully they a decide that they're all going to work together. My players probably will. They're very good about that kind of thing. Um, and B, it's going to be like, well, what what happens next and what do they decide to do with the information that they're given? Because I'm going to give them something very important to start off with. And they might decide to just ignore it. (laughs) Um so we'll see. Um and uh yeah like I I've got more details about this stuff, but like that those are kind of some of the main details I'm really been interested in and I'm fiddling around with. And you know I've got characters and like I have a mayor who's a goblin. Um but there's one other important thing about this world. Um which again happened entirely because of my players because they all sent their characters to me a little while ago. And I looked at them. And you know what? None of them are playing? Healer. Humans. Oh! There's not a single human in the party, which is not surprising, giving my players they you know, humans are uh effective in 5e, but also kind of boring. Uh, from like thematically wise. So we've got a changeling, we've got an alpaca folk, what are the other two playing? Got a genasse and a Yuanti. So yeah, snake people are going to be a big thing in this setting too, for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, and so they were all like, "Yeah, none of us are playing humans." And I was like, "Humans don't exist in this setting. No more humans. <laughs> humans are garbage." Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. So there are going to be dwarves and elves and stuff like that around. But I'm going to probably try and think of some way to tie them to t- tweak, tweak them a bit, so they're not just like humans, but slightly different. Um, you Know and maybe halflings won't be around. You know, I, I think a, dwarves are going to be like actual descendants of earth elemental kind of thing. You know, the, uh, the obvious idea for a dwarf, right? Yeah, there's
1: um, something I read recently about a uh, I can't remember what it was about. It's about a fantasy novel. I was just reading about a couple of novels that I saw on like a best of list. I want I looked them up on TV tropes because that's where I go to research stuff apparently. But um one of the things that I was mentioning was that the dwarves in this world um were like the master smiths that everybody kind of thinks of when they think dwarves, except um they don't need forges or anvils or hammers. They can do it all with just their hands. so it's like fancy kind of a combination of like earth and fire elemental deal going on
0: oh i might take that that's a cool idea
1: if if you if well if dwarves are like a combination of earth and fire elementals then elves could be a combination of water and air yeah
0: it's definitely something to think about um and I, i might just do elves straight up as like no these are just a type of fairy um crossover from like another world and maybe they're very rare and then you know there's also the the wide kind of types of elves you know th- this is the the thing that's neat about um being at this point in world building where i'm like i'm not looking for a very solid definition of everything right now i'm letting and i'm like partially letting my players influence it as we go like cuz part of what i'm going to be doing is like yeah you know you meet this character um they're actually a friend of yours Tell me a bit about them, uh, which is the thing that I've already like I've done with the, this pl- these players previously, and always leads to something interesting, though so occasionally it leads to a character that I cannot RP convincingly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's something that I think I've got to to try, um, and I think it's kind of tilting more towards doing the stronghold and follower DD thing than a Numenera campaign because it feels like if I don't try to set the campaign to be in like just a single location my my instinct is for it to be a travel story of like you start here and you need to go there and do a thing um and then once you get there and deal with that thing well there's a thing over there you've got to deal with like they don't the because that was like looking back it's kind of the thing that bugged me about the campaign that i ran was that there was no home base like they were always on the move. They didn't really have a, a stronghold or a place that that they felt safe in that I could maybe threaten or anything like that. And the idea of having a campaign set in a place where, yeah, like you if they meet somebody, you can just say like you know this person, who are they? Tell me. Um, that really appeals to me. And so the idea of running a stronghold and follower campaign is getting a little bit stronger in my head, I think.
0: Yes, do it. invite <laughs> me to be one of your players. The, like uh, we say this every once in a while but the fact that we've like done this can this show now for a couple of years together and neither of us has really been an active player in either of ours games is like a very weird thing to think about
1: <laughs> it is yeah
0: um i mean and partially that's been because you know you already had a campaign you were running i had campaigns i was running um and like never should the two meet because of time and availability reasons but that's uh that's a thing that like once once we can do in-person stuff again I really want to focus on like making myself more available for the things I want to do which is playing tabletop games
1: yeah i I think I I, I need to clean up my office a little bit more because I've got some books I still need to make a bookshelf for but uh I've got like I've got some d d stuff that I still haven't played I've got some systems that I still haven't played and yeah I want to just either run some one shots or just like get back into running a campaign. Cause I do, I miss it. I miss having people over and sitting around a table and telling weird, funny, interesting stories. Yeah.
0: The one, the one kind of uh, downside, I guess, of this campaign I'm about to run is the idea was that it was going to be all in person. Um, but of course with everything happening, uh, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. And at this point, if we stop and wait, it's never going to happen. Yeah. So we're running it online to start and hopefully we can do it on a regular basis and hopefully I can get my shit together enough that uh, run it, play, running an online game will be feasible <laughs> and enjoyable for my players. Yeah. Um, uh,
1: are, have you given much thought to how, how you're going to run it uh, as a not an in-person game, as an online thing?
0: I will probably set up a Discord or do it over Google Chat or something like that. Um, I trust my players to just tell me what the rules are like I I know that there are for some reason some DMs who don't trust their players enough but like like also I think as we've established if they are somehow all lying about their roles I don't really give a shit. Yeah.
1: And I like I'm a I'm a tech geek. I like the idea of, of some I like the idea of something like Roll20 or Foundry VTT where you can have everything baked in so that a player just you know clicks a button or types something in and hey it's rolled your attack and applied all the right bonuses and you've hit okay now you click this button it does all the damage and figures everything out for you like that is appealing to me but like i'm just thinking about the last few times that i have set up games in roll 20 like it is still in this like we've had virtual tabletops for a couple of years now and then, and given i like granted i haven't used one really during covid um, so like roll 20 might have improved by leaps it, and bounds it hasn't <laughs> but yeah the thought of like if i do start another game and it has to be online it'll probably be similar it'll just be a discord with video chat and that's pretty much it yeah. because yeah the amount of work required for an ongoing campaign or even especially a one-shot in roll 20 or a virtual tabletop is just it's a lot
0: <laughs> yeah i will say uh if it was a different group i might have tried running in role um but you know it's one of those things that i know that like for them because you know like my friends are busy <laughs> like <laughs> you know they, they have demanding jobs all that kind of stuff i wanted to make this the least amount of work for them it's partially why i very easily agreed to like okay we'll just do D. right it's partially because i want to run what they want to play and, and partially because yeah you know they're they're busy they've got stuff going on they don't want to have to learn an entire new system it's intimidating to them um or to some of them not all of them but like i'm not gonna i'm not going to then also add hey yeah figure out how role works and make your character sheets in it yeah uh and i'm not, certainly not going to add to my workload to do that um because time is a thing and i'm already like constantly on the edge of burning out all the time. Um, so, you know, but you know if uh like for example, if I was running something for like you and you know like Jason and another friend of ours, I would be like, "Hey, yeah, uh, I'm gonna run on this system here here are your logins, here's the thing for your campaign. Take a look at the character maker it's pretty it's like as far as online ones, it's pretty straightforward. I'm sure you can figure it out, yeah, but that's that's not the situation we're in, right, so yeah,
1: something that um." I'm trying to f- figure out, or if I did, for well, if I not not if I did, when I do run another campaign, something that I really really enjoyed doing, and I I think I can make it work now that I work from home, was um, we played on Sundays, and then Monday morning I would spend my Monday morning while I was you know at work and still waking up before I really got into doing anything, I would write up the events of the previous session in uh i think it was obsidian something yeah obsidian portal was like I, i would write up the events of the last session as a little mini story so that the players would always have a place to go and it was also just something i enjoyed doing and i think when i run another campaign i want to figure out a way to have some kind of journal like that campaign event log so that uh I can get back into writing that kind of stuff, but also so that the players have a uh, detailed resource that they don't have to worry so much about taking notes if they're not great at it.
0: Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> I would love if my DMs did that. I'm not gonna do that because I, I, I was doing it for a while in a private, like just notebook I had, and even that, like I couldn't keep up with it. Um, you know, I have learned my limits, and my limits include not doing that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I found that um, it only really worked because I had the Monday, uh, like my Mondays were never busy at the job that I had at the time. So I had the time to just sit down at a computer and type everything out. Um, And but as soon as I got busy, it's it stopped immediately because I, you know, I had work to get done. But uh, I think I might be able to figure out a way to make that work again. Yeah,
0: I mean, totally right. It's it all ties into what you have time and ability and, like, that for, right? And if you have that, you should totally do it. Because, like, I know as a like as a player, I would love that resource. Half of the time, I can't remember what happened last time in a session. Um, and that's not because I wasn't paying attention. Though maybe it's sometimes because I wasn't fully paying attention because I'm easily distractible. Um, but, it, you know, a lot of the time it's just because, you know, I have to have all these other things in my brain. Yeah. But I think you know we're we're coming up to an hour. Do you have any more? Uh, bef- I guess before we sign off, do you have any questions about the setting that you would like to talk about, um, or the process of making it? I guess.
1: I guess what I'm curious about because you mentioned a train mm-hmm. that brings the the tourists and th- so like is there a single train that does double duty as like brings tourists in and brings water out, or is there like a station where there's like a loop train that goes to a bunch of nearby cities. And then there's another line that just, you know, screams across the desert to the mountain from some city way far away.
0: Um, So the way I see it is kind of like, um, there's a train kind of station slash yard. um, And that mostly goes out directly delivering water to places. Okay. So there's like
1: a single line that goes from the mountain to town a, a single line that goes from the mountain to town B.
0: Yeah, and like there'll be towns along the way because, you know, I haven't decided quite how far out it stretches. But I, I wanted that also because it uh, limits the amount of water that's readily available for the outer settlements. Right. So they're they're always kind of in desperation mode because that's the way the sleet stricts want it. Right. Um and then there will also be like a more kind of scenic passenger train, and that's how you know you gotta get a ticket on that one in order to, like, come into town. And it probably only arrives, like, once every week or so. And kind of it's, like, a thing where it, like, circuits all the towns slowly. Uh, and it makes it a whole production to come and see the Sleep strike Because also they are, like, trying to maintain control. And part of how they're enforcing that is, like, yeah, it's a huge pain in the ass to come and see them. And you have to do it anyway. <laughs> because we have the water. Right. And fuck you. <laughs> and... I guess like
1: it doesn't see it doesn't seem like it has any direct impact on the campaign or at least the 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 opening of your campaign. But um, is the rest of the world kind of in this same somewhat sorry gang-ruled state, or are there places in the world that you know people live comfortable lives and they you know where there's green and water everywhere, or is is there? kind of resource shortages all over the place and everybody's kind of living this kind of existence?
0: I don't know, is the answer. Um, so largely i focused on building this this area, right? Yeah. This is my primary concern. The players are not going to get out of this area unless they, they pull something really ridiculous. Um, I mean, I guess they could board a train, go as far as they can go and try and do the rest on foot, but the desert is an unforgiving place. It's hard to escape it. And there's other things going on. So I haven't decided, is is really the the thing. Probably there are places like that, but at least for the purposes of this campaign because that's the other thing. People don't know, right? They don't really know much about what's outside of their area. Yeah. So they might get to, you know, I might decide partway down, like, yeah there's actually, like, these areas that are all foresty and lush, and what it probably is is, like, there are resource shortages but it's more because they are, like, big forest monsters all over the place or something like that. Yeah. The idea is that the whole world is dangerous. Yeah. Um but i d I haven't quite decided why, right? Yeah.
1: The yeah, the idea that like if there's if there's tourists, there's probably some kind of surviving
0: upper crust that can make these kind of trips, but Yeah. Well the tourist thing, and like that's a thing I have to think of too, right? But it's like some of these tourists are literally people who have scrimped and saved their whole lives to like try and go to this one place that's not a terrible desert. Because <laughs> um, that's the thing, Is like, as far as a lot of people in this desert are concerned, there's nowhere like the mountain. It's right. covered in forest and trees that are like lush and green. It's always snowing. There are probably ghosts. Uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff. It's, uh, it's an attraction for a lot of people because there's nowhere like it, even if they have to go and spend all of their money to go there right um that's also where the seat of power is and you know depending on the type of area you know there might be people who worship the sleet strix because as far as they're concerned they control all the water so they must have some sort of special power or connection to the world or whatever because also the gods don't exist (laughs) right which is the thing my players also decided on well they they decided that there's no like organized religion and i was like hey guess what gods no none of that (laughs) (laughs) okay
1: okay Cool. There's I there's a lot of potential in this world and I really like it. I and and the the fact that like you built it with your players is something that I definitely want to try at some point. Um I guess the question I got about that is did you have any strong ideas about things that you wanted to have in the world or were you completely open to like whatever the players want even if it contradicts something that I had thought of earlier?
0: Uh, I mean, other than the magic technology magic kind of cycle thing, um, that was the thing that I was like, this is a fact about this world. But basically, I I had to introduce one later too, where they were like, uh, one of the, the like kind of landmarks they've created is a what is obviously to us a giant mascot statue of some kind that they visit, um, and they were like, okay, can it be this? this, or this? I'm like, okay, no, one sec. It's not going to be a real mascot. I am not ma- this is not a a fictionalized version of our world, right? Um so there is a large plastic statue of what they think is a very strange lizard but is in fact a fish, a thing that none of them would recognize because it was in a desert town without any water source.
1: It's it's funny because uh Marie and I started listening to the audiobook for Dune because mm. I wanted to go through the book again before the movie comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I am, I'm pretty excited about the movie. I think Dennis Villeneuve. knew, um, I don't quite know how to pronounce his last name, but uh, I like him. I really like him as a director and I've liked what I've seen from the trailer so far. And the funny thing about reading, going through the book again, is that uh, is the realization that all of the main characters come to when they reach Arrakis, the dune planet of just how important water is and how it can be used as a uh, a sign of wealth to not really waste water but like one of the things that happens is like when when Paul uh, arrives on the planet he sees the the palace where he's going to be staying has date trees out front and he realizes that like some of the people that are looking at the trees some of them are like you know all these are amazing but there's a, a good number of people who are looking at the trees as they pass by on the street and he can see them frowning. They're upset with the trees. And he asks why. And he's told that, uh, you know, a person on in this, in on Arrakis needs so many liters of water a day to survive. Like period, you need minimum this much. These trees need as much as 40 men, like full grown men. So like these trees are a huge show of like, we have so much water we can, you know, use it on these trees that uh, produce fruits that we're never going to eat. And uh, like one of the other things that happens is during a uh, a party before the betrayal happens, um, Duke Leto sees that when people are coming in, there's a bowl of water with some washcloths. And when people come in, they wash their hands and their faces of the dust and throw the towels on the ground. And because the people that were in charge of the planet before were like terrible people, they had a practice of taking these part of the, the, the practice was like, yeah, when you have a party, your guests wash their hands and throw the towels on the ground, which is wasting water because it's water on the ground. But then they'd have a servant take all of the wet towels, take them out front and wring them out for beggars mm. as a way of just like, yeah, you need water. You can have this dirty leavings of our water. So in this world where you've got, you know, this this family in charge of all of the water for all of the people who live in the desert, are there is there a tradition or something that is rooted in that we have the water and you don't you live by our sufferance?
0: It's kind of like that. And so that's the thing that I've been like thinking about and trying to figure out like how to introduce that, because the Sleet Strix live on the mountain where there's constantly snow anybody who's on the mountain can get water whenever they want. It's basically limitless, um, easy to get. You can literally, like, go outside, scoop up some snow, melt it. And I think there's definitely, like, there are people who sneak onto the mountain and, like, steal snow away. Um, and, you know, if the Thrashers find out about it, that there's a reason they're called the Thrashers. Um, <laughs> but I, I haven't thought of a tradition yet, and that's kind of one of those things where I'm like, what what does this look like? And it it might be a thing where it's like, you know, once a year they come down and they're like, oh, yeah, we we are, you know, we your great and benevolent rulers are giving you this water. It's not enough for everybody. Not for uh, once a year. Yeah. But, like, it's one of those things. Like, they've got people stuck in a cycle of they, they work to farm the water, and then all the money they make to do that goes back into getting water.
1: Yeah. So, I guess we are going over our, but I've got two more questions. So, I guess one question is uh as a, well more of a suggestion. Suggestion: i know how to english jesus um a suggestion of uh could the punishment for being caught stealing snow be you are drowned and then the water used to drown you is thrown into the desert
0: i'm just making notes here don't mind me
1: <laughs> um because like well if you want water so bad here have enough for the rest of your life <laughs>
0: oh my god that's really good (laughs)
1: um and the other thing is that the it's it's not a huge deal but it's just it's something that i would personally want to figure out something because you've got this you've got this closed economy where the people who work on the mountain spend pretty much all their money on they, they give it back to their employers basically yes um
0: yeah, so they are in a mine, mining town essentially. Okay, yeah. yeah so like they're they, like they this... are paid what is essentially scrip.
1: Okay. Grant. Cool. Yeah, that's what I wanted to know because like yeah, if there's if there are people coming in from out outside of the area who are paying in not company scrip, um what are the interactions there between like the people who don't want to take, you know, gold or silver because if they're like if they're caught with it is it a bad thing or is it they can exchange it at a ridiculous
0: rate for more scripts so that they can maybe splurge on an extra cup of water or i'm not sure i'm like i have definitely uh toyed with the idea that like water is currency but um it's a lot of work to justify and like have people carrying around certain amounts of water like and translating it so i might not do that i might say that like i think in the town a lot of it is barter between stuff because not not everybody works on the mountain a lot of people work on the mountain but you know some people also scavenge stuff and like
1: well you like you could do something where like instead of the gold standard uh the script is the water standard like you know the one dollar note of script is good for uh you know x amount of water is, is is what it's is based on and but it's like a ruinous exchange rate
0: yeah well and like so this is, a, this is a thing that's, like, I've been thinking about a lot, because, like, part of... So there's two ways to get up the mountain. I guess there's three, because you could go by foot if you really wanted to. Um, though that's also dangerous for several reasons. Um, there is a gondola, and the gondola costs, like, you know, for lack of a better term, like, five gold to ride, which means that it is entirely inaccessible to most of the townsfolk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there is a freight elevator, that has been built which is probably like a ruin that has been fixed up from ancient times that like takes you up the inside of the mountain it is dark and unappealing and cold and then you get up there and then you work and then you go back down the freight elevator so like you know most of the people in town have never taken the gondola right because money (laughs) um but yeah it's it's one of those things that's tough because i also don't want to like i don't want to hand my players a bunch of Excuse me. Stuff they need to memorize about like currency and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of always the the balancing act of being the GM and doing the the world creation stuff. Is that there are so many details that you could go into um that if you were writing a book or making a video game, you know, you have a a page that just like talks about hey, this, here's how money works in this area of the world, and then the readers will remember it. But there's so much going on in the game that like okay, here's here, here's the primer on the economy, here's the primer on the, the, the local area. Like, you don't want to hand your players homework before you start running a game.
0: Yeah, so it's one of those things where, like, if I was going to make a novel or some stories out of this, I might come up with something like that. Uh, for me, for the purposes of this, it's mostly, like, just kind of thinking about it, but it probably won't be implemented. You know, like, this is a game I'm running for my friends for fun. Yeah. And... They only have so much, you know, free time. I don't want to make them have to like memorize this because I know for some of them, every, that that'll mean that every time they try and spend money, it'll have to be this whole conversation around it, um, which I don't mind. But I know that you know it becomes less fun and it slows things down, and we only have x amount of hours every like two weeks or whatever, right? So it's, yeah, it's like the same way that like a lot of like there will be shopkeepers for them to interact with, but a lot of it will be like yeah, any shopping you need to do. Why don't you just do it between sessions? We don't have to roleplay you going to buy things every time because time is so limited, right?
1: Yeah. Alrighty. Um, yeah, cool. I think
0: we should leave it there.
1: Yeah, because uh, I want to ask questions and talk about stuff that might be uh, spoilery for your players. Yes. Um, so
0: And I appreciate your restraint. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, on to the outro. Yes, I just got to pull it up again, because for some reason, like a fool, I closed it. (laughs) (laughs) Big pause while I look up things. Thanks again for listening to our show. Uh, We
1: are proud members of the Cave Goblin Podcast Network. Find us and other shows at cavegoblins.com.
0: You can support us and our network by becoming a patron on patreon.com slash cavegoblins or by joining our Discord.
1: You can also support us by leaving a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show.
0: You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver, Jesse Boros, or Sean Hagen. Sean P. Hagen. Sean P. Hagen. Oh my god.
1: <laughs> I cannot uh, read. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. You can find more
0: of his work at Incompetech.com. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. See more of her work at Haleyboros.com. That is it for this episode. Hope to see you out there
1: at the gaming table. Yes. Bye. Bye. Hey, my name is Eric. I'm Piers and this is Podcast versus Podcast. You're listening to us here on the Cave Goblin Network. We take turns pitching podcasts to each other. We're trying to find a good podcast to do because we don't have any ideas. So turn off whatever show you're listening to, turn on our show.
0: This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.